Hi, I'm Bob Eckblad. Welcome to my podcast, Disciple. Word, Spirit, Justice, Witness. Matthew 20 has been really striking me lately, and I've been reflecting deeply just on this question of, you know, when Jesus is going up to Jerusalem, you know, right before his passion, and uh, beginning in verse 17, he uh, says, Jesus was about to go up to Jerusalem. He took the 12 disciples aside by themselves, and on the way he said to them, Behold, we are going up to Jerusalem, and the Son of Man will be delivered to the chief priests and the scribes, and they will condemn him to death, and will hand him over to the Gentiles to mock and scourge and crucify him, and on the third day he will be raised up. So here we have this description that Jesus gives of you know, what's going to happen next as he heads up from Jericho up the steep mountain, you know, up to Jerusalem and, um, you know, what his fate is going to be. And this isn't anything that should be new news for the disciples because all the way along Jesus has, you know, described how he'll be persecuted and how they too are going to be persecuted. But right at this moment, there's kind of an interruption in in Jesus's um, description of his you know, what, what's awaiting him. And um, we have the mother of the sons of Zebedee. So two of Jesus's main disciples, James and John, um, their mother comes to Jesus with her sons, bowing down and making a request of him. So we have this very deliberate uh, political sort of move that she makes, um, you know, that has all the formalities of prayer, you know, approaching Jesus, bowing down, and then making requests. This is the language of prayer. And um, and he said to her, what do you want? Or some translations make her sound more polite uh, or make him sound more polite. What do you wish? But I think it's basically, you know, what do you want? And she said to him, command that in your kingdom, these two sons of mine may sit one on your right and one on your left. Okay, so her request seemed so out of line with what Jesus has just stated about his, you know, his movement, what's going to happen next, being uh, delivered over to the priests priests and the scribes and, and then condemned to death by them and then handed over to the Romans to mock, scourge, and crucify him. Um, and yet then the third day, you know, God raising it from the dead. But anyway, it's, it's just like uh, this interruption so so strange and where is this coming from and um you know what does this reflect and do we see this attitude today you know um i certainly see it you know um i see people um you know wanting success i i, I see myself wanting success i think about you know being s- seated at the right hand and the left um you know maybe the mother of a son's Zebedee was really advocating for her sons, and she saw that they had really left everything, and were Jesus's, you know, right hand, right, right, right hand men, so to speak, along with Peter, and and so she's, you know, she's wanting to make sure that that her sons get their just desserts, and um, and I think a lot of us can feel that way, like you know, we want to see our work rewarded in some way you know we've been spending years of our lives in ministries we see people um 
you know, making it big, fast all around us, you know, business people striking it rich, you know, doing well in their businesses. Um, YouTube people or bloggers, you know, just, uh, you know, kind of getting instant acclaim, churches springing up that just start out, you know, like, uh, you know, and become these huge mega churches. You know, I think there's a natural desire to see um, visible success in ministry and to have, to a desire to have a, 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 your authority to be recognized. Um, there's, um, to be successful is to, is to have a position, you know, um, executive director, executive pastor, president, and, um, you know, with the fame and, and the financial benefits of that, um, you know, there's people that are incredibly successful authors and public speakers, you know, platform speakers, preachers, teachers, and, um, and, you know, there's people that know how, you know, to get lots of likes, you know, lot, lots of, uh, views and um and a lot of times these are these are people that are highly skilled people and and so everyone's aware that there's um you know there's success there's people that are that are extremely successful out there you know whether it's in the entertainment industry um but i'm just let's just talk about ministry because that's the sons of zebedee they're uh they're people whose mother and them want them to you know make it in ministry and um, and so I just think about just my recent trip to Zambia. We just came back. I just came back from Zambia and South Africa. And there, there's, um, you know, a real culture of sort of honor, but in a way that is, um, you know, like, for instance, so many people are, are, are either an apostle or a, a, a bishop or a, a prophet or an evangelist or a pastor. Um, we were seated at the front, our team, and I was called Dr. Bob and his team. And we were given, you know, special seating, um, all by ourselves way up at the front on the side of the stage. And, um, you know, that's considered normal and people referred to one another with these titles. And, um, I think, you know, with what we've seen in the whole seven mountains thinking, which has, you know, which swept through aspects, you know, parts of the charismatic and evangelical churches, this view that, you know, that Christians are to take the seven mountains of, you know, of politics and economics and culture and education and the arts and different things. And uh, so that we can wield influence, you know, the idea that, um, you know, that, um, that we should be people of influence and we should be electing um, people that represent us into government so that uh, righteousness can reign from the top down. And, um, but there's other versions of that. There's the seven mountains of the, of the progressive side of, of, you know, where progressives, you know, liberals want the same sort of thing, you know, political power and influence uh, that in ways where their values, um, you know, and interestingly, when we were doing this Bible study the other day and we were saying, well, you know, uh, that Peter, I mean, these two, James and, and John were wanting to be at his right and his left. Someone was saying, yeah, it's like the left and the right. Um, and, uh, you know, and just the current climate of our, of our nation right now is so polarized between what's called the left and the right, which I think are, are you know, there is the right, but the left is, is fairly um, right, right wing in some ways, or at least militaristic and 
warring, you know, pro-war, definitely. But, but anyway, um, politics is very seductive and, and there's, um, I think there's a lot of seduction of wanting to be an influencer. And we see that right prior to this, Jesus has even told the disciples that they're expecting a reward because Peter in verse 27 of chapter 19, Matthew 19, says to Jesus, Behold, we've left everything and followed you. What then will there be for us? And Jesus said to them, Truly I say to you that you who have followed me in the regeneration when the Son of Man will sit on his glorious throne, you also shall sit upon 12 thrones, judging the 12 tribes of Israel. So there's that promise, right? And so maybe the, the, the mother of the sons of Zebedee and the sons, they're thinking now is the moment of the regeneration and Jesus is going up to Jerusalem and they're just sort of uh, denying or just, uh, you know, unable to hear that, um, that there's this, uh, you know, this arrest that is pending and torture and execution. And um, they're imagining that the region, the time of this regeneration where there's going to, they're, they're, they're going to have political power and influence is, is just right there. They're on the verge of it. Um, but um, maybe they and we have a hard time, you know, kind of with the not yet of this, of this promise. And, 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 and there's a seduction and a desire to, you know, to, for power now. Um, you know, Jesus says, though, everyone who's left houses or brothers or sisters or father or mother or children or farms for my namesake will receive many times as much and will inherit eternal life. So, uh, you know, when will, when will they receive many times as much? And obviously eternal life is in the next life. Uh, but then Jesus says, but many who are first will be last and the last first. So that should be a warning right there. But anyway, um, just going back to the, the mother of the sons of Zebedee and her requests, um, command that in your kingdom, these two sons of mine may sit one on your right and one on your left. So clearly, um, the mother here and the sons uh, have been missing so much of what Jesus has been teaching. And I just think about Matthew chapter 10, where um, Jesus is describing the you know, the, what disciples can expect, you know, um, beginning of verse 16, behold, I send you out as sheep in the midst of wolves. So be shrewd as serpents and innocent as doves, but beware of people for they will hand you over to the courts and scourge you in the synagogues. Well, Jesus is about to have that happen to himself. That hasn't happened yet. It's, it's, he's, it's pending. And you will even be brought before governors and kings for my sake. So, so Jesus is describing this as the future um, of all of all of his followers. Um, but this sounds like he's talking about something after he's already departed, although he doesn't mention that here. But he says, you know, um, that disciples can expect to be brought before governors and kings um, as a testimony to them and to the Gentiles. But when they hand you over, do not worry about how or what you are to say. And once again, just I'll repeat this. Um, this hadn't happened to Jesus yet and or to his disciples. And, and it didn't happen uh, in Jesus's, during Jesus' earthly time on, you know, here prior to his ascension. It, but this is, you know, foretelling what, what would happen, you know, in the, the period after Pentecost. 
Uh, so it says it will be given you in that hour what you are to say, so don't worry. For it's not you who speak, but it is the Spirit of your Father who speaks in you. And then Jesus goes on, brother will betray brother to death, and a father his child, and children will rise up against parents and cause them to be put to death. You will be hated by all because of my name, but it is the one who has endured to the end who will be saved. And when they persecute you in one city, flee to the next. For truly I say to you, you will not finish going through the cities of Israel until the Son of Man comes. So this is talking about the, you know, what we can expect in um, in terms of our, you know, um, people receiving us or rejecting us. And here it's clearly rejecting prior to Jesus' second coming, right? And so... Um, Anyway, the, the mother of a sons of Zebedee and the sons is not, um, somehow seems to not be catching this teaching that, you know, that, that there's, a, there's a, a departure, Jesus' departure, and then second coming. She's acting as if right then is, is when it's all going to take place. Like a, the eschat, eschaton is, is upon them. They're going to come up to Jerusalem, uh, come to a place of, of, of power, you know, um, overthrow the Romans. And they're seeing Jesus like an earthly um, son of David, you know, Messiah, who is going to, you know, overthrow the Romans, which many were expecting. And um, anyway, Jesus goes on in this whole section about, um, you know, what they can expect. And, and then we see later in um, Matthew 24, also a lot about, um, you know, Jesus is prophesying the destruction of Jerusalem, the you know, all of the, that's going to happen, um, you know, like chapter 24, verse 9, then they will deliver you to tribulation and will kill you, and you will be hated by all nations because of my name. At that time, many will fall away and will betray one another and hate one another. Many false prophets will arise and will mislead many. Because lawlessness has increased, most people's love will grow cold. But the one who endures to the end, that one will be saved. And this gospel of the kingdom shall be preached in the whole world as a testimony to all the nations, and then the end will come. And he goes on um, throughout that chapter 24 to describe um, signs before the, the end, you know, uh, things that must take place before Jesus' second coming. So back to the mother of a sense of Zebedee. So she's not understanding, and she's expecting Jesus' um ascendancy right then onto into a place of authority and and wants her sons to be at his right and his left and jesus answered verse 22 you do not know what you're asking okay that's so so true um are you able to drink the cup that i'm about to drink so they say to him we're able like sounds like kind of a you know triumphalistic you know like hey we'll be your you know, your sergeants, your, you know, your, your commanding officers, and we're going to fight this out and, and we're willing to suffer. And, um, you know, all the way to the end, to the victory, you know, we're able to do it, Jesus. And he said to them, my cup, you shall drink. And, uh, of course he's talking about the cup of his suffering, which in the garden of Gethsemane, you know, he says to the father, may this cup pass, you know, but not my will, but your will. And the cup of suffering, um, is also a description of, of the cup of, you know, um, his blood. You know, when he gives um, his, he breaks the bread and shares the cup and says, um, take and eat, this is my body broken for you. Uh, 
drink this. This is my blood shed uh, for the forgiveness of your sins. So he's perhaps saying, you know, you, my cup you, you will drink. Um, that is, you know, the cup of the, of the Last Supper of the Passover celebration. And also, maybe um, he is prophesying about perhaps the suffering that, that awaits them as well. But then he says, but to sit on my right and on my left, this is not mine to give, but it's for those for whom it has been prepared by my Father. And so this, clearly Jesus is refusing to um, act as sort of a, a power broker or, um, you know, a boss but is deferring to the father and, you know, and I've, I've, I've noticed, you know, in um, previous studies of this, that the language here is the same, um, right in his left hand is the same as, as when Jesus, you know, when Jesus is, is crucified, he is, um, there's a sign over his head, uh, uh, the king of the Jews, right? And right prior to that, he's dressed in, um, like a king and he's, uh, and he's mocked by the Romans. So is that the moment when he's entering his kingdom? And, and if that's the case, then who's at his right and who's at his left? Well, two, two criminals, right? And yet they're not seated at his right and his left. They're, they're hanging there at his right and his left. So, you know, um, I think there's, um, maybe that isn't the fulfillment of this text, but, but it definitely is describing, um, you know, the persecution or the, you know, the death alongside Jesus that is in keeping with what Jesus is saying. So anyway, the 10 disciples, um, they are as clueless as the sons of Zebedee. Verse 24, and hearing this, the 10 became indignant with the two brothers. Like, hey, what are you guys doing? You know, positioning yourselves, uh, you know, trying to just come as entitled ones who think that you're more in deserving of these places of honor than we are. I mean, we've left uh, brothers and sisters and lands and fathers and mothers and children. And, you know, we've sacrificed as much as you. What, you know, who are you guys to think that, you know, to kind of suck up to Jesus and get this special favor? And so Jesus has a problem on his hands because he's he's got disciples that don't catch, that don't understand, that are blind to what's happening and to his passion that's upon him right right soon. So Jesus called them to himself. I love that, that, you know, just kind of a, a, a huddle, an intimate huddle with his, with his 12 disciples. And he makes this, you know, very powerful statement that seems like now a continuation of what he was saying before. You know, when he was saying, uh, they're gonna hand um, me over to the Gentiles to mock and scourge and crucify. And the third day, um, he, or, you know, in this case, I, Jesus is saying it, will be raised up. And then he says, um, you know that the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, you know, um, and their great men and women exercise authority over them. Okay, so that was a given that um, the politicians, the political, you know, powers that be, you know, the corporate execs of our day, you know, the, the high church hierarchical hierarchies, the you know, whatever the authority systems are of our of our country, our our, our governments, people um, people lord it over other people and have authority over them. Um, verse twenty six: It is not this way among you. It is not this way among us, as followers of Jesus. We are we are not called to play these power games. 
Um, but whoever wishes to become great among you, okay, in case some of us do, we want to be great, okay, shall be your servant. And this is that word, uh, like de where deacon comes from, diaconos. Um, so whoever wants to be great um, among you shall be your servant. And whoever wishes to be first, in case you do, among you must be your slave. And this is the word doulos, which is the strongest term for slave that exists in, in Greek. And, um, and so Jesus flips everything upside down. Great and first equals servant and slave. Just as the Son of Man himself did not come to be served. Wow, Jesus didn't come to be served? He didn't come as to be at the top of the hierarchy, to be the Lord, the, the King, in a way that was familiar and that was culturally acceptable, like the way Pilate or Herod or any of these people, Caesar, were, you know, ruled? You know, no. And, and so this is something that has to be super clear in our minds as we think about what it means to, to be Jesus followers today. And as we position ourselves in our you know, and just, I guess, envision our own status or um, interpret our own lack of status. So just as the Son of Man didn't come to be served, um, you know, can we say that about ourselves? We, we're not here to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. You know, give his life like as the, the price of freedom, you know, for many. And, um, I just, I just really feel like this, this, this teaching that Jesus offers here is one that we, we really need to penetrate deep into our hearts, and and we need to be evangelized by this gospel of uh, that it just flips everything upside down, and you know that is not about seeking power and dominance and influence and status and position and and everything like. Like we do, you know, with our, um, just the way our whole society is, is, you know, we're, we're wired to, to, to be climbing up and up and up greater, bigger, stronger, you know, more influence, you know, more likes, more hit, you know, more uh, views, more whatever it is. Right. And not that that's bad. It's not a bad thing to, you know, to have a positive, make a positive influence on the world. And I'm not saying that we should you know, just try to avoid that. You know, we, we want to uh, proclaim the good news. That's the role that we have. This gospel of the kingdom must be preached to all the nations, and then the end will come. So it's not about, you know, refusing to, to be wise. And, um, you know, we're supposed to be wise as serpents and harmless as doves in the way that we engage and as Jesus followers. And, um, you know, and Jesus went from village to village, and he preached to crowds. And he healed the sick, and he cast out demons, and he he did all the things that we're invited to to do as well. We're, we're commanded to do, and um, but that led to him giving his life as a ransom for many. So, I just love this next um, section where we have two um, two men that um, are mentioned that are in direct contrast to the two sons of Zebedee. Um, and this is as they depart from Jericho. As they were leaving Jericho, verse 29, a large crowd followed him. And two blind men, sitting by the road, hearing that Jesus was passing by, cried out, Lord, 
have mercy on us, son of David. Okay, so here um, we have two blind men that are sitting um, in contrast to the two uh, disciples that want to sit, one at his right and one at his left. But these guys are sitting by the road. And um, Philemon of Gaza, who is uh, has written a beautiful commentary on the Gospel of Matthew, which is um, in French and we're in the process of translating into English. He writes how um, these guys were, were clearly beggars, although um, he says Matthew is being quite gentle and tactful and sensitive about without overtly stating that they're beggars. But we do know from Luke chapter 18, um, which is the parallel you know, um, story of, of Bartimaeus, that Bartimaeus was sitting by the road begging. And, um, and so anyway, they're sitting by the road. And so to be a, a blind person in, you know, in the first century or, um, you know, now in lots of places is, is to be, you know, in a, a, a place of, of extreme vulnerability and weakness. But to be one sitting by the road who's a beggar, that's like as low as, as, as it gets. Um, and, you know, a, a place of extreme um, shame and marginalization and uh, exclusion. And, um, and so these guys, they're just hearing that Jesus is passing by and that leads them to cry out. They're taking the initiative. Uh, they're crying out, Lord, have mercy on us, son of David. And interestingly, they're not saying what they want, um, except um, all they're saying is, you know, have mercy, which shows a lot of humility and a lot of trust. Um, if this is their one chance to get an audience with Jesus, what they're asking for is mercy. And they're trusting that mercy will be, you know, will be good, will be a really good thing, maybe the best thing, uh, because Jesus will know what they need. And they're using a title, the, the messianic title. So the, this shows this messianic expectation was, you know, was, was really at the grassroots level. They're calling him son of David, which is like a title of the liberator, liberating king that people were expecting to free everyone from Roman rule. And, uh, and so verse 31, the crowd sternly told them to be quiet. Okay, so they were, they were being, you know, canceled, being, you know, being completely shut down and told to shut up. But they refused to be silent. They cried out all the more, Lord, son of David, have mercy upon us. So um, these people are, are refusing to be marginalized and they, are, they have no one to advocate for themselves, for but themselves. They don't have a mother who's got special status with Jesus. They don't have any special status with Jesus. They're, they're just on the side of the road. And what will Jesus do? And this next verse is so beautiful. And Jesus stopped and he called them. Philemon of Gaza talks about how um, call, when Jesus called them, then they would have uh, stood up and come to him. Um, although the term here, phoneo, doesn't, isn't the same, isn't as explicitly like summon. It's not the word summon in Greek, but it's just the word call. But if you look at Luke's version in Luke 18, uh, Jesus actually tells people in the crowd, bring them to me. And so he um, re recruits and orders, actually, those that are telling uh, Bartimaeus to shut up to actually bring Bartimaeus um, to him. But in this case, Jesus stopped and called them. And this would have been very um, honoring and um, 
in in that they would have stood before him as as men with you know with dignity and um as, as men that are being valued by you know by the celebrity that Jesus was here in this story and Jesus said um something that is just so so beautiful what do you that is you plural want me to do for you plural okay so this is um this is a, a very um precise and personal you know request uh, question of jesus isn't it it contrasts very much from jesus's response to the mother of the sons of zebedee what do you want it's um you know what do you what do you two want me to do for you for you two you know like how can i help you and um what an opportunity you know for these um for these two men to actually have a voice and be able to not just be um you know be passive or or be kind of in a vulnerable place of, of of you know of not telling jesus in any specific way what what they want like like the mother of his sons of zebedee does when she says you know command that you're in your kingdom these two sons would sit at your right and one on your left here uh, jesus is giving them full permission to be precise in what they're asking for and um and what and their response um is is beautiful and uh, but before we get to the response i just want to say one more thing you know this scripture moves me so much it just makes me feel so hopeful because i think about times when i have felt so um like hopeless and you know like um there's times when i can really identify with um what that would feel like to just be a beggar on the side of the road um you know unable to have any hope really in that anyone was going to help me and and just just uh thinking okay well if if i knew that jesus was near okay i i would cry out but i want to be able to have the faith to cry out uh like they did even when i don't have physical jesus you know walking past me on the road um and here to just cry out you know lord have mercy and to to see jesus responding by asking for precision you know what do you bob you know what do you want me to do for you and gracie and your family you know what what do you want me to do for for you and for tierra nueva or for you and whoever i'm with and whoever we're advocating for whatever it is it's uh so hopeful and it and it's an invitation jesus's invitation for us to be precise in our self in our petitions so their response shows incredible humility they said to him lord now there's no more mention of the son of david right but just lord which is the greek equivalent of the divine name you know yahweh um or you know the hebrew equivalent of it which would be adonai lord so kurie lord we want our eyes to be opened notice that they don't they don't say um would you open our eyes you know they are um you know they're so humbled the way they request it lord we want our eyes to be opened you know um they they just state what they're hoping for but without putting uh, a demand on jesus and um and i wonder you know what whether this is in some way exemplary in terms of offering us teaching on prayer you know just to be able to really entrust um our situation to god so fully that we we could state what what we want to see changed but just leave it up to to god about 
you know, how he's going to do it, what he's going to do, you know, how Jesus is going to handle our situation. But anyway, moved with compassion. And um, this text actually literally says, you know, um, like being filled with um, compassion, like almost like there's a download of some kind that Jesus is experiencing here where compassion is just filling him. Um, and it's, it's beautiful. This is the only time in Matthew's gospel that this is, that Jesus is described as being moved with compassion. Jesus, um, I mean, so he's, he, he's moved by their, their situation and their, I think they're both their, their vulnerability, their, their poverty, their, their humility, their uh, neediness and their faith moved with compassion. Jesus touched their eyes. So Jesus is moving closer and closer isn't he to them um you know first calling them um asking them what they want being moved with filled with compassion touching their eyes and immediately they regain their sight and what do they do well they're not seated at his right and his left no they're in movement they follow him and this is um this this is this is uh really the the movement that we're invited into you know, is is not a movement of just being seated in a place of power, but really um, a movement of following Jesus um, and being his disciples. And I think this is what is so desperately needed right now in our uh, situation in the world is Jesus followers need to be mobilized um, in active, humble, servant, um, you know, um, you know, like self-giving love with a focus on, on, you know, on the voiceless and, you know, the vulnerable and those that no one's paying any attention to. Jesus is modeling, um, you know, this um, coming not to be served, not to, not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom. And what would that look like if Jesus' followers everywhere were turning away from you know, acclaim and fame and upward mobility and um, attention-seeking efforts to kind of get the funding that we all need, no doubt, and just be about the work of Jesus's kingdom, you know, fully trusting ourselves and the, uh, to God and including for all the provision that we need. What would that look like? I feel super challenged and excited to, um, you know, to, to live this out and I hope you do too.